Welcome to our new series, Chronic Illness and Disability 101. Did you know that more than 50% of all working adults will at some point in their career experience a disability or a debilitating event that will last longer than 90 days? Here, we're sharing facts and disproving stereotypes. So whether it's you or someone you love, this journey can be a little easier and a lot less lonely. Hello, my friend. I'm so glad that you're here. There are huge misconceptions in our culture about people with chronic illness and disability. One of the biggest and the one I want to talk about today is this idea that we should be grateful and consider ourselves lucky or blessed for everything and every accommodation we are given, including our health care. As though it's a privilege for us to have a place in or to participate in this able-bodied world. Unfortunately, this misconception lends itself to an idea that because we are given maybe more than we deserve, our voice no longer matters, and the only emotion or feeling that we should express is deep gratitude and appreciation for all that has been bestowed upon us. We get angry, disagree, dare to have a need outside of what we've been given, or seem to cause conflict in any way. People are shocked and angered at our audacity. This is the world we live in every day, and it's not easy. But when these thoughts, feelings, and practices bleed into our healthcare system, difficult turns to dangerous. Chronic illness and disability patients usually require some kind of specialized healthcare. We look high, low, left, right, inside out, upside down, and backwards until we can find someone with the right knowledge, ability, and availability to treat our unique needs. And there's usually not a lot of them. So when we find one, we hold on tight because they become our lifeline, what we feel dependent on to live and survive and to get the care we need. The thought of trying to find a new specialist is terrifying. So most patients would rather suffer in silence, engage in any type of conflict, with their specialist for fear of losing them. Patients begin to feel trapped and silence themselves in and out of the provider's office, even to their own detriment. Conflict is part of life, and trying to avoid it completely with your specialist is what can lead to subpar patient care, negative patient outcomes, medical abuse, medical gaslighting, even neglect. Now, most people say, oh, I would never let that happen to me or a loved one. But you probably already have, and you just don't realize it. Have you ever left an appointment with a provider more frustrated or confused than when you went in? Have you ever been told, oh, well, your blood work's normal, or you just need to rest? It's probably just stress. Or have you tried losing some weight? And then there's the ever infamous, let's check back in three to six months and see how you're doing then. These are all ways that our healthcare system shuts down the concerns and needs of all patients. It happens all the time, but we never look too closely or for too long because we know our system has a dark, ugly underbelly, but there is nothing worse than feeling powerless to stop something that should never be happening in the first place. So we put on blinders, and those blinders combined with fear and our aversion to conflict is how horrible things happen to patients every day. 
It's how our healthcare system continues to abuse and take advantage of those who are the most valuable and in the most need of care. Did you know that Stephen Hawking was abused by his providers? In the late 1980s, while still married to his first wife, Jane, Elaine Mason was hired as one of Stephen's full-time nurses. They grew incredibly close, which really concerned the family, especially when he announced in 1990 that he was going to leave Jane for Elaine. The two married in 1995, just a couple months after his divorce was finalized, making Elaine his nurse and his wife. By the early 2000s, Elaine had isolated Stephen so much, he had little to no contact with friends or family for about five years. His family tried to intervene. The police investigated Elaine numerous times, but because Stephen refused to speak up or press charges, there is nothing anybody could do. Once the two finally divorced in 2006, Stephen was finally able to reconnect with his family and especially his children. Unfortunately, history repeated itself. After Stephen's death, it was discovered that in his last few years, Stephen was again being abused by one of his nurses. Patricia Dowdy was found guilty of failures over his care and financial misconduct. Stephen never advocated for himself or admitted that he needed help, even though there were a lot of people waiting and ready to help. He silently endured abuse not once, but twice. Some people have blamed Stephen's friends and family for not intervening. Some have even blamed Stephen himself for not speaking up. This was not his family's failure, and it was not his failure, but I'm willing to bet that he probably thought it was. As a strong-willed, brilliant perfectionist with a very firm belief in analytics over emotion, the concept of being dependent and limited in his abilities was probably just about the worst thing he could imagine, and he was living it. To now be abused by someone he trusted his care to was probably just too much. When it came down to pride versus protection, he chose pride. You may still think that you would never allow something like this to happen to you or a loved one. But if it can happen to one of the world's most brilliant minds, what is stopping it from happening to you? Long-term care and nursing is not the only place that this is happening. On December 31st of 2022, a 37-year-old Canadian woman went into her local ER only to die after waiting for seven hours to see a doctor. Her husband said they were neglected, and despite numerous attempts to alert the nurses and the front desk staff of his wife's quickly declining condition, the only action taken was a security guard brought them a small cup of water. Right around that seven-hour mark of waiting, she finally saw the emergency room doctor, was given some pain medication, and was sent to x-ray. Unfortunately, that is where she coded and they were never able to revive her. This is awful all on its own, but the day before, on December 30th, a 67-year-old woman waited in her local emergency room. She repeatedly asked about how much longer, and as the seventh hour approached, they told her she was still very low on the list, she decided to go home. Sadly, she passed away at home just a few hours later. Stephen silenced himself, and these two women were silenced by those they went to for help. This is not okay. None of these people should have ever been silenced. 
these deaths are heartbreaking. And from what's been released about the two women, they probably could have been prevented had they received medical attention in a more timely manner. The question that we're all asking over and over is why is this happening? I think it's because there's not enough checks and balances in our healthcare system. However, we all have this one incredibly powerful tool that we forget about, our voice. We can use this powerful tool to medically advocate for ourselves, our loved ones, and to advocate for change. Medical advocacy, two simple words, a simple phrase that can somehow feel big and intimidating, but at its core, it's just people. It's patients, providers, loved ones, even communities using their voices to promote and protect the rights of patients. Being sick sucks. Trying to figure out what and where to get the care that you need and navigating all the bureaucratic red tape makes your fight a lot harder. This is an extremely high stress and emotional time. It's easy to forget that everyone from patients to providers are just people trying to do the very best that they can and usually doing it scared. Medical advocacy is a crucial part of our healthcare system that is misunderstood and drastically underutilized. This isn't just fighting for your right or navigating red tape. Medical advocacy is this wide array of activities that are focused on supporting and representing patients. Appointed advocate can be a professional from an organization, a social worker, healthcare provider, trusted friend, or relative, really anyone. As long as you trust them and you believe that they are dedicated to helping and protecting you. These advocates can serve as intermediaries between patients and healthcare providers. They can offer guidance, support, assistance in navigating our crazy complex medical system or really anything that a patient or their family needs. That means the patient and the loved ones and even the providers can focus on getting the patient healthy and improving patient outcomes rather than all the bureaucratic mess. Many people don't know that there are professional patient advocates and organizations. I didn't. These individuals work tirelessly to protect and uphold patient rights, the access to quality care, treatment with dignity and respect, and they work so hard to preserve the privacy and confidentiality of everyone. Advocates can function as a voice for their patients who may struggle with or are unable to advocate for themselves. Because of their training and knowledge, they can also provide reliable information, education, resources, all of which can encourage and empower patients to participate in their healthcare decisions actively and confidently. Communication is one of the most crucial parts of medical care. And patient-to-provider communication is not always simple or collaborative. It can break down completely. When that happens, advocates can step in and be a liaison or a go-between to ensure that the communication stays productive and that patients' concerns, preferences, and questions are addressed appropriately. With how fragmented our healthcare system is, that communication, it may 
even harder. Patients who are already in poor health can struggle to keep up with the mountain of information that needs to be recorded and sorted and shared and paid and organized. Advocates have the training and the resources to help streamline this communication, ensure that information is shared appropriately, and they can help foster the collaboration and coordination among the different healthcare providers involved in a patient's care. The diagnostic and treatment process of any illness can be confusing and long and hard, but when you have a rare chronic illness, you have a litany of extra tests, information, hoops to jump through, and you usually have no end in sight. It's the worst version of hurry up and wait ever. Developing a patient-advocate relationship early on gives the patient someone they know they can depend on that will know their full story. And as their care and medical team changes over time, that advocate can share the appropriate information with the correct providers. Whether you're self-advocating or using a professional advocate, that coordination and transition of care is so important. And there's a lot of information to keep track of. Your advocate, they know your history. They can easily coordinate your care, schedule your appointments, find referrals, communicate treatment plans between providers, and even organize all your necessary medical records. It can be a huge relief to pass off that administrative burden. Medical advocacy isn't just helping patients with the bureaucracy of medicine. It's also emotional support, empathy, and a dependable ally. There are a lot of barriers that patients can face trying to get care. Things like financial constraints, language differences, cultural beliefs, or just not knowing what services are available. We don't know what we don't know until we know. Medical advocates can help patients and their families connect with and find the appropriate resources, financial aid programs, interpreters, cultural liaisons, or whatever else it is that they need. It's an indispensable part of our healthcare system, and it isn't used enough. Whether someone chooses to self-advocate or uses a professional, patients have medical rights that need to be protected. Providers go to medical school and have lots of specialized training. However, they don't know everything, and they certainly don't know everything about you, your experience, or your body. In fact, you are the world's one and only expert on you. And a good provider will recognize the importance of that and look to collaborate with you along with any of your other providers. Your treatment and care may be your provider's job, but it is your life. Both roles need to be respected, but at the end of the day, only one of them really matters. Sadly, most people don't understand or know how to medically advocate for themselves. It's a learned skill set that isn't instinctual. It can be tricky and typically requires situational adjustments. However, once you have this knowledge and you understand when and how to use it, the feeling of empowerment is amazing. You don't need a chronic illness or disability to need these skills. Knowing how to be an informed and active participant in your own healthcare helps whether you're just starting your journey, you've been on this road for a while, or just want to learn this powerful skill set. Here are eight simple practices to make medical advocacy easier and more successful. Number one, documentation, your new best friend. 
Keep written notes on all your symptoms so you can share them with your doctor. Write out your questions before your appointment. Take notes during your appointments. If you don't feel you can do that, bring someone with you that can. Ask for copies of visit notes, test results, and test findings. Number two, preparation. Hope for the best, prep for the worst. Have your questions, requests, and concerns all written out before you go to the appointment. Make sure that you bring any information from other providers that may be relevant or that this provider needs to know. Number three, scheduling. The who, what, and where of it all. Be on time. Yes, most doctors make us wait, but sometimes they have a little extra time. Always schedule your follow-up appointments before you leave. Verify that you schedule the right type of appointment. Many providers offer different types of appointments that require different amounts of time. So make sure you are going to have the right amount of time for what you need. Number four, clarity. Could anyone walking by understand what you're saying? Be specific and very clear about your needs to your provider. Ask for clarification anytime that you don't understand what they're saying because leaving frustrated and confused isn't going to help anyone. Number five, rights and rules. Patients aren't the only ones with rights. Know your rights as a patient. Know what rights your provider has and make sure you know what those rules and policies are for that provider's practice. Number six, education. Knowledge is power. Read, study, research your condition, your doctors, your treatment options, and everything and anything else. The more you know, the more empowered you're going to feel to make educated decisions about your health care and ask better questions of your provider. Number seven, conflict management. This is a highly emotional situation. Take a deep breath. You will be upset or scared or sad at some point. But showing your emotions can affect your medical care and not always in a good way. It is okay to disagree with a provider. Express your concerns in a professional manner and ask for the same from them. Be okay with breaking up with your provider. Not always fun, but sometimes it's necessary. Remember, we're all people. We are imperfect and most of us are just doing the best that we can. Number eight, the buddy system. You can't do this alone. You need support. There are support groups available in person and online. Find a counselor you're comfortable with. Find someone, not your family, someone who really gets it because they've been in your shoes. Take a friend with you to your appointments so that they can start understanding what exactly that you're dealing with. These eight things are going to make advocating for yourself or loved ones a lot easier. Be careful not to connect or confuse conflict with advocacy. While advocacy helps you successfully work through conflict, it has the power to do so much more when it's used proactively. The best way to improve your advocacy skills is to practice, and every appointment is the perfect time to do that. I know this can feel overwhelming. So I do have a reference guide available on the website for free download. I hope that this information will help you feel more confident and more comfortable advocating for the needs and the rights of you or your loved ones. Thank you for being here, my friend. Next time, we're going to dive a little deeper into our medical chart. 